Yeah, we're starting this series on emotional, healthy community and following up with the um, community groups and strongly encourage everyone here. I really would love to see 100% participation in the community groups because it's very helpful to hear a message and then gather together a few days later to discuss it. Um, and I found it to be really um, uh, encouraging when we did it just a few months ago. And uh, launching, this is the introduction for this series. And a big idea is that emotions are the language of the soul. Emotions are the language of the soul. But we have to ask ourselves, how emotionally literate are we? How emotionally literate are we? How well uh, do we understand or even acknowledge our own emotions? And um, if you were in an emotional conversation with someone, which, by the way, happens every time you interact with someone, are you able to have a conversation? Or are you illiterate um, emotionally? I remember the statistic, and I looked it up. This concerns actual literacy. You realize that um, 33% of high school graduates never read a book the rest of their life? 40%, of college graduates never read another book after college. 80% of U.S. families did not buy or read a book in the last year. <laughs> Can you believe it? Seventy percent of U.S. adults have not read a book in the past five years. <laughs> Audiobooks, I don't know. That has helped. That has helped. How many have listened to an audiobook? Yeah, me too. Uh, oh, there was one I wanted to read for Jimmy's sake. Um, 57% of new books are not read to completion. And you can tell Jimmy I said that. And, and he'll know what I mean. So emotions, I mean, words and ideas are the language of our mind, right? And yes, we can connect and use emotions, but we're really, those are really uh, the language of the mind. How does the soul express itself? And it's through emotions. Think of this. What's the significance that we are emotional beings for years before we're able to form words. You're emotional in the womb. And once you're born, do babies have emotions? <laughs> oh, yeah. Can I see a little baby? He smiles. Two seconds later, ah! Ah! what do you want? What do you want? Because it takes years for them to be able to go, I want food, or I want milk, or I want that, or I want that, or I want it, you know? <laughs> if, uh, I grew up, uh, we had uh, uh, ponies, and if you've ever seen uh, a horse give birth, uh, it's one thing to see it on TV, but to be there, it's, it's a whole other experience, and I, fortunately, as a kid, I saw that, because those, those colts, those ponies, once they're born, within a minute or two, 
they're on their legs and running. It's spooky. Like they come out and they're like running around the field. But humans, it takes like a couple of years. I mean, uh, to learn how to walk, you know. Orson, my grandson, just learned how to crawl. Took him eight months. (coughs) And he's not nowhere close to walking yet. And the words take even longer. And so horses need that skill because they, they need to be able to move, right? But we need emotional. Like, we, we start first emotional. And I think there's significance to that. Problem is that culture and contemporary Christianity treat emotions somehow as less important than ideas. Once we get ideas, once we get the ability to learn and speak, we kind of push those emotions. And then, and then there's been an error in that we actually... Uh, deprioritize emotions, but they're equally as important as words and ideas. Now listen to this, and this is absolutely true, and you can research it if you don't believe me, but almost all decisions are made with your emotions. And your intellect is an internal lawyer that argues for the validity of the choice you made. Most people think they make rational decisions. <laughs> That's not how it works. Your intellect serves your emotions because your decisions are made down here. And then you figure out a way to justify it. And your brain is really good at that. Okay? And it's very, very difficult to reverse that and to make a decision and then stick to it when you're not emotionally invested into that. All right? So we're emotional beings. <clears throat> the sad truth is that too little difference exists in terms of emotional and relational maturity between God's people inside the church, people who call themselves Christians, and those outside with no relationship to Jesus Christ. This is a big, this is the problem that we're introducing for this series uh, that we're going to look at over the next uh, two months, February, March. We're going to delve into uh, being emotionally healthy people. And the observation, and it doesn't take much observation to realize, you know what? You get a group of Christians together, and they're just as emotionally and relationally immature as any other group of people. Amen. Amen. But it ought not be the case. If we're presenting a message of, of salvation and wholeness and freedom, we should demonstrate that through our emotional health and relational stability. And so recognizing this problem is important. The unspoken message in many churches is that the body is bad and the spirit is good. And this is just an idea that's, that just is hard to get out, hard to root it out because it's so ingrained in so much of the way people think. Somehow a subtle message has filtered into our churches That to be human, to be emotional, is somehow sinful or at least less spiritual. Uh, And this comes uh, far more from Plato-ism. I can't say that word. Platonism? Platonism. Platonism? How many know Plato? I've never met him. (laughs) But I've heard he's a pretty influential guy. No, he wrote a lot of what is uh, modern, uh, considered uh, uh, the, uh, philosophy, the basis of most philosophy, 
goes all the way back to Plato, who was a Greek um, uh, philosopher. <clears throat> and Gnosticism actually goes back even further than Plato, and that was um, really a spiritualistic approach to life that heavily influenced the early church, but it was heresy, and it, it taught, and Platoism teaches that the, the natural body and the natural world is, is, is bad, and this spiritual, whether it be intellectualism or Gnosticism, a spiritual realm is good. But that's not true. That is not biblical thinking. All right? Don't allow that to exist in your brain. That's not biblical. God created us as whole beings. And knowing this truth helps us live emotionally and spiritually integrated. It's really important that we learn how to live as whole beings. And I'm going to show you why that's not true. And we're going to go way back to the beginning of the story, the message of the, uh, of the Bible. And um, it's important that the Bible starts out with a creation story because it lays the foundation for almost every important theological truth. And it, it, it shouts some things very, very loudly and clearly. And we have to remember them and not forget them. And uh, this is from Genesis 1.26. says, God said... This is after God had, had uh, spoken and created light and planets and plants and oceans and all that stuff. And then he said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And it's interesting that in Hebrew that was written in the plural. And, uh, and this is a, a huge basis for the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, that God exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, it says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Just a little side note. God lives in community eternally. Uh, they will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth. And I like this part. And the small little animals that scurry along the ground. <laughs> all those other little things. So God created human beings in his own image. This is the big idea. In the image, of, he repeats it just to make sure we get it. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And so the Bible says that we, male and female, is the best representation of the image of God. God made us to look like him, to be like him. And so all of the aspects of our nature reflect the nature and the person of God in some way. Right? Jesus Christ came as a man and actually lives, it lived in a human body, and we'll get that to in a minute. He said that God is spirit. And so even though God is spirit, when he created us, he created our physical body in a way that represents his, who he is. And so we are the physical representation of the spiritual being of the Father. And then Jesus comes later in the form of a man. So our bodies even were created to reflect God. Just like when an artist paints, part of that painting is a reflection of who they are. You can look at that and know something about the artist. Well, the same way, God created us to, to reveal himself. And denying or hiding part of us, especially our emotions, which are a very, very important part of us, is actually not good. And, and let me give you an example of how not good it is. Right in that first story, chapter 3, just two chapters later, 
Um, this is after Adam and Eve, uh, who were living in the Garden of Eden, and um, was in, in, in perfect paradise. They were only given one rule not to do, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you do it in that day, you'll die. And guess what? Eve was deceived and took of the fruit and ate. But Adam willfully took of it. He knew what he was doing. He knew he was violating God's word. He wasn't deceived. He willfully, he sinned. And then God <clears throat> comes down to walk in the garden. says, the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Let me give you a little inside tip. If God asks you a question, he knows the answer. <laughs> and he's trying to get you to realize where are you? And Adam replied, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. This is real important theology here because this teaches us the three primary symptoms of sin. And sin is separation from God. They sinned. They did what they were not supposed to do. They, they broke connection with God. They did something that was contrary to the character of God. And so they were created in the image of God, but now they've done something to break that connection. And the first symptom was fear. But this fear is actually irrational. Every experience Adam and Eve had had with God was extremely positive. Like creating them, giving them life, creating a garden where all their needs are met. Like all the animals, all the pets in the world, right? And we don't know how many years they lived in that paradise. You know, it's only a few pages in the Bible because it's only, it's only telling us the important parts. They could have lived in that state for 10 million years. We don't know. Now, I know that the Bible later begins to count how old Adam was when he had uh, children. But most, many theologians, uh, theologians think that there's, there would be no meaning to count the number of years someone who is meant to live forever. And so that number of years is from the day they died. Because we now count down the days till we die. Prior to the fall, there was no date. It didn't matter. Are you hearing me? And so <clears throat> it's irrational that they were afraid because God only did good things to them. He would, uh, he would always walk in the garden. It was a fun time. Daddy's here. But now all of a sudden there's this irrational fear. And then they were naked. Well, what were they before they ate the fruit? <laughs> naked. So all of a sudden they did something that made them feel exposed and created shame. So it wasn't the fact that they didn't have clothes on, because they always never had clothes on. But now they knew something, something, they needed to cover up something. They felt ashamed. And in a, as a response, they hid. And so they concealed part or all of themselves. And so hiding part of ourselves is not good. God knew where they were. God knew what they had done. And out of love, God sought them out. God is the seeker. And he continues to seek out anyone who sins because he doesn't want us to be stuck in fear 
feeling exposed and shameful and hiding. He sought them out because he loved them. That's an important, important message. So the result of sin, both Adam and Eve's, as well as our own, continues to be uh, fear. We experience the same thing, as well as awareness of our own exposure, our own shame, and the response of hiding parts of ourselves. And that's called fragmentation and compartmentalization, which are long words with lots of syllables. Fragmentation is breaking your life up into parts and compartmentalizing them into separate, separate areas. And it's unhealthy because you no longer are a whole person. You're fragmented. You're broken. And this happens, an example would be coming to church on Sunday morning and you're just happy and you're doing good. Praise God. Hallelujah. How are you? Oh, I'm glory be to Jesus. You know, I'm happy doing real thumbs up. But then a few hours, a few days later, you're at home, you're like, miserable, you know, and maybe you do something that's self-destructive, you do some behavior that is unhealthy, and you just feel dark, you know, but then, you know, uh, you're out, and you meet somebody, and oh, they're going to be nice, and so you break yourself into little compartments, but that's not healthy, okay, because ultimately what will happen is that those compartments those little pieces can't be held together and it's like a house of cards that when uh, a strong enough uh, wind comes along they'll just all fall down and god wants us to live whole this fragmentation and compartmentalization just like it did with adam it separates us from relationship with god it separates us from one another it creates divisions between uh, people individuals as well as groups and it separates us from creation uh, that, uh, you know, prior to the fall, Adam and Eve lived in, in unity with the creation, but afterwards there was pain and toil as a result of their behaviors, and, and, and we have difficulty to this day struggling with the effects of, of the fall and sin and separation from our creation, and Jesus restores that. His intent is to re- redeem all things, but also even being separated from ourselves, not being able to understand our own emotions. Or even the way we think, you ever get in a place where you're like, I don't know why I feel this way. You know, that's the result of this fragmentation and compartmentalization. Jesus came, hallelujah, to put us back together again. And he has the ability to do so. Uh, And it talks about that in the book of Galatians. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And this is important to understand that Jesus came, God the Son came into our world the same way we come into the world, in the womb of a woman that was under that curse, right? Under the law. He came down into the problem to redeem those who were under the law. Redeem means to rescue, to bring back, to pay the price so that we could be free. That we might receive, not only that we would be free, but that we might receive the adoption as sons. In other words, that because we were separated from God because of sin, through the work of Jesus Christ coming, we are adopted back into the family. And because your sons are sons and daughters, God sent forth the spirit of a son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father! Is that an emotional statement? Come on! Crying out. 
not intellectually understanding that we now have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, now I see the math. No, it's a heart's cry, and it's important that we see that they use the word Abba, because that was the word that babies, little kids, would call their daddy. It's like daddy or papa. It's not father. It's papa. Because it's reigniting, uh, it's, it's, it's enabling our emotional beings to be expressed, uh, to express ourselves in relationship with the Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and of a son, an heir of God through Christ. In other words, through that relationship that we gain with God, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have access to the right of heir. We inherit all things. Just we're equal, we're co-heirs, it says in the book of Galatians. We're co-heirs with Christ. Wow. <clears throat> uh, and another place uh, in Colossians, it says, uh, God rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. That's that darkness that we were hiding in. And transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased us, that's that redemption, purchased us our freedom with his blood. It's important that we understand that this was accomplished through the blood of Jesus Christ. What's that talking about? Well, Jesus came, he was born of a woman, he, he, he was God in the flesh, he lived a sinless life, but he was uh, arrested wrongfully and crucified. And it was on that cross where Jesus took upon himself, you know, there's de depictions of his suffering and being tortured and being nailed to the cross. And I, I don't like those movies. I don't like to watch that because it's, it's gruesome, you know. But that is just a, a, an illustration of what Jesus suffered in his spirit because he didn't just take the beating of the Roman soldiers or the nails piercing his flesh. He took the sin and the guilt and the shame of every man, woman, and child on planet Earth that ever lived and ever will live. He took the penalty of it all. We feel shame when we commit a sin. He felt all shame for all people, for all sin at that moment. That was the blood that was shed. And unlike Adam, who gave in and did his own will and not God's will, Jesus did not give in. And he said, not my will, but thine be done. And he bore that cross. He bore our pain. Because of that, because of that, we have forgiveness of sin. If you believe that. You don't have to understand it. I don't understand it, and I'm up here preaching it. I don't understand. How does that work? I have no idea. But I believe it. Because it's believable. It's changed my life and changed countless other people's lives. Uh, he forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Oh, oh, remember Genesis? Invisible God creates man in his likeness. And now Jesus comes, actually called in another place, the second Adam. Jesus comes to represent in a human body this invisible God. He existed before anything was created. He's supreme over all creation. He's fully God. So this tells us something. God is emotional. We serve an emotional God. Did you know that? You have emotions. You only have emotions because God have emo yeah, has emotions. And you were created in his image. 
Now we know that, you know, it's pretty easy to just have, pull up a few scriptures and God gets angry. Does God get angry? Did Jesus get angry? Turned over the tables, right? Uh, what other emotions did Jesus demonstrate? Compassion, out of compassion, he saw the people wandering like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion. He saw hungry people, he had compassion. Sick people, he had compassion. I think you see Jesus frustrated with his disciples. It's like, geez, guys, how many times am I going to tell you this? That's the Cameron translation. (laughs) Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? That's frustration, man. No matter how you weigh, you package it. (laughs) don't you love that god can relate to us being emotional because he's emotional but he never allows his emotions to control him he he uses his emotions to express himself accurately and we we can learn from that and and because christ was able to live a life holy uh, sinless, but also full of emotions, means that we can do. Jesus redeemed every aspect of being human, every part of our body, including our hormones and our emotions, our intellect, <clears throat> everything. And Christ, as Christians, we are to reflect the character of God in this human body that includes all of those different parts. <clears throat> And here's some of the, this is one way to look at it, five different aspects of being a human. One is social, that's interacting. So sin broke the, the uh, um, uh, sin, the, one of the results of sin was a breakdown in human interaction and, and offense and, you know, uh, Cain and Abel. Did they have a little trouble? Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. Cain killed Abel. That's a breakdown in social order, right? We see that, boom, right away. Christ came to restore this as part of what it means to be a Christian. Intellectual, you know, you ought to read a book. Just saying. You want to set yourself apart from uh, 80% of college graduates? Read a book. I don't care, Kelvin and Hobbes, right? Read a book, any book. (laughs) Sometimes I tell people that. I'm like, just read a book. And they're like, what book? I'm like, doesn't matter. Because reading helps you organize the way you think. Okay? And in the same, it does. It's a powerful tool. In the same way, this series is meant to help us organize the way that we uh, have emotions. So that we have a better grasp. We increase our emotional literacy. Uh, <clears throat> intellectual is a very important part of us. Spirituality, that's a very important part of us. Learning how to pray, how to worship, how to hear God's voice, how to see into the spirit realm and and discern truths. Things that are uh, uh, just like a level above intellect, but of course we use our mind. Our minds are renewed by the word of God. There's that other dimension where God exists in spirit. And then there's physical. It's good. Exercise. Putting an addition on the temple. Think I might need to downsize. It's all part of being human, right? And then the emotional aspect of it is all. And if you're, if you're missing any part of this, what does that make you? Not whole. There's gaps in your life. Or if they're dysfunctional, it's not wholesome. You want the whole pie. 
right? And the Bible talks about this as the result and the purpose of what God is, is up to and what it means to be a Christian and to walk out Christianity. What, what's, the big word is sanctification, which is making, yourself, making someone whole. It says in 1 Thessalonians, that now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Wow. Sanctify means to, to, to fix every part of you that's broken, to make you whole in every way, to make you uh, uh, mature and presentable uh, to him, himself, so that you can dwell eternally in the presence of God without feeling afraid, without feeling ashamed, without wanting to hide. Because you know what? You're just like him. And you feel most comfortable in his presence. Why? Because you've been sanctified completely. And then it lists these three main areas of, of, of your being. And may your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body be preserved blameless. Wow, without any guilt, shame, perfect at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That when Christ comes back, because of our relationship that's been restored with God through faith in Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit and the renewing of our, our minds, our bodies, and our souls, we can be preserved and we can live eternally with Jesus Christ. Sanctification is not just about learning Bible verses. It's not just about avoiding sin. It's about becoming whole and being made complete. And Jesus came to make every aspect of our nature uh, to reflect his nature, to transform us in every way. And I've asked Pastor Bill, I don't know if Bill Miller Lee or just Bill is going to come up and lead us in a little response time. Would you please welcome him? All right, so would you stand with me? We're just going to talk to the Lord a little bit about what we heard this morning. And, um...